0: examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was pro- proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came thereto, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to, to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for, si- for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. God, we uh, pray that as we look at this text, that you would help us to um, have a longing, that just put a longing in our hearts, a hunger in our hearts for truth, like you did in the hearts of the Bereans, and let us be people who, um, who are not swept away by deceiving um, teachings or um, by those who are trying to corrupt the church. But let us always be people who know your word. And with the discernment you give us through your Holy Spirit, God, let us be people who do not compromise the stance of your truth. In Jesus name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So today we're going to be talking about whether or not you and I are on a truth quest. Now the Bereans, we're going to talk. Let me just give you some real quick background. Uh, I've tried to do this, and there's not a lot that I'm going to share with you today. Um, but the Bereans were people who were on truth on a truth quest. Um, verse 10 tells us that that's where Paul ended up in Berea. Now um steve can you back up to the map all right so paul's on a second missionary journey he's worked his way this way gone over into macedonia where the guy he had a vision the guy called him over uh shared the gospel in philippi was driven out of philippi after persecution uh landed in Th- Thessalonica. He was driven out of there after persecution. And what we talked about last week is that Philippi and Thessalonica were on a main road called the Via Ignatia. That was a main, one of the main Roman roads, and it was the one that went uh, east-west. So it basically spanned the whole Roman kingdom all the way. It goes up into Thrace, all the way over into this area. And so that's what he had been on that road up in Macedonia, but he departs from that and heads south. That continues west he departs from that and heads south. Um, I'm assuming, we don't know, Luke doesn't tell us, so I'm assuming the Holy Spirit um, was instrumental in guiding him where to go. Um, there was also some unrest that was happening among the the Jews in Rome. Uh, the emperor at the time had just driven out Jews from the city, wouldn't let any stay there. So that could have been a reason why Paul departed and went left instead of continuing west to Rome, which we know from his other writings was his desire. That's about 40 miles southwest there of Thessalonica. Um, It sits at the foot of a mountain and near uh, tributaries from a major river in there. And so um, just a little bit of the geography there. And they, Berea, just some history. Berea was, <laughs> yes, there it is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Berea was um, a Greek city when, when the world was controlled by Greece. In about 168 BC, it surrendered to Rome and became a Roman city. So that just a little bit of trivia in case you guys ever get questioned with those things in trivia, trivia night. All right, so the Brian Jews, let's look at our second point. The Berean Jews were students of the word. <clears throat> the Berean Jews were students of the word. Um, verses 11 and 12, <clears throat> let me read that real quickly again. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. so Luke calls them calls them more noble than the Jews that were in Thessalonica, which later on, if I'm somebody from Thessalonica reading <laughs> the writings of the Acts, I'm going to be like, "Hey, wait a second, but the reason why Luke says they were more noble is because as in opposition or standing on the opposite side of what the people in Thessalonica did, where Paul was met with persecution and, I mean, he had people who believed him and became part of the church there. But he, in general, the, the, the community rejected the message, rejected Paul as a person, drove him out Silas, uh, and Silas pers- with persecution. But these guys in Berea, they didn't jump to, they didn't jump to, hey, here's a new teaching, we're going to believe it. But they also didn't jump to, get your teaching out of here, we don't want anything to do with this, and, and rejecting them and persecuting them. They were ripe for the harvest. They were ripe for the harvest because God had prepared them. God had prepared them for the message God had put such a desire for himself in their hearts that when Paul gave them the gospel message, rather than rejecting it with persecution and violence, they said, you know what? Let's let's see if there's something to this. So again, I think it's worth noting, they didn't just jump on it and say, hey, this sounds great and just believe it. But they also said, we're not, we're not going to reject that, but we are going to make sure it goes hand-in-hand hand with what we see in Scripture. And so they opened the Scriptures and they dissected the words of Paul and the words of the prophets to see if what Paul was saying was correct. They used Scripture as the standard. They used it as a plumb line to make sure what they were hearing was, was something that God had actually foretold in the words of the prophets as he was sharing the good news of Jesus and his death on the cross for the sins of all mankind and for his his resurrection from the dead. Now, I think also we need to note that there are different motivations that people can have for hearing you and not rejecting right away and digging into Scripture. And I want you to know that this is not this is not an eagerness to prove something wrong with Paul's argument. It says that they were examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They weren't going into Scripture to try to find um, an argument that would cut the legs out from underneath Paul's argument. They went in to see if what he was saying is actually in there that maybe they just missed in their reading before or their understanding of Scripture from before. So it's, it's not an eagerness to find something wrong, um, but an eagerness to know God, to know the truth, to pursue after the truth, and to know God more. Now, you all know people. I'm sure you've had these conversations with people. I've had conversations with people like this. You know people who are listening to what you're saying, and they're just waiting for you to take a breath so they can jump all over your argument, right? If you, had, if you shared your faith with people and you know, like you can see them, their mouth is almost moving because they're, they're already forming their argument and they're going to jump in as soon as they can to show you how they don't think that that's right. They're waiting to pounce on anything you're teaching and in that kind of a situation, those people, their desire is not to know Christ, not to know him more intimately. Their, idea, their, their desire is to show you how much they know. Their desire is not to glorify Christ, but to glorify themselves. And they're not nurturing by any means an attitude of humility, but they're feeding their own pride. But that is not the picture that Luke draws for us of the Berean Jews. I'm calling them Jews because they're not Christians yet. They're Jews who know the Old Testament. They're meeting um, together in the synagogue. And Paul comes and says, let me explain the, o- the Old Testament prophets to you. That was, that's their motivation, to know Christ more. They wanted a more intimate knowledge of God. So they measured the words of Paul against the scriptures every day. In Thessalonica, Luke tells us that Paul met on the Sabbath day for three weeks in a row to reason with them. These guys, Luke specifically says, every day they were examining the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true and to find Christ within and that is a practice worth imitating. That is why people have taken this name to describe their church or there was a bookstore in Peoria, Berean Bookstore, which I think, what a mo- is there a more fitting name for a place where you go to read and learn about Christ than Berean? Because the Bereans were people who were dissecting the scriptures to see what Paul was teaching and if it was true. All right, so we need to imitate them. Let's look at some application that we can take away from the Berean Jews who give their life to Christ, join the church. Um, The very first thing that we need to note is that no teaching should be blindly followed no teaching should ever be blindly followed that's how cults get started that's how we were talking about the the different things um the different belief systems and some of those other religions um at the beginning that's how those groups get started when people hear something and they don't do their homework and they just say i'm in that's how cults get started and wrong theology gets accepted into the church. So everything that is taught should be grounded in Scripture and must be examined by the church to know if that teaching is correct with what we see in Scripture. In fact, uh, one of the reasons Joseph Smith was so effective at getting people who had a desire to serve Christ, he was so effective at getting them to think that what he was teaching was true. Is that he tended to um, prey upon people who were illiterate and couldn't read, so they couldn't go to the scriptures and read. Um, and so, we are in an age where most people, at least in our nation, can read, and we need to be people who don't just accept teaching on the surface without making sure that we go back to this and find it supported there in scripture. And if it's not in there, then we have to conclude that is not of God and the person teaching it needs to either correct that or be deemed a heretic. And so Joseph Smith or the people who led some of those other cults, have been people over time that the church has said, no, 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 no. The teaching you're teaching does not line up with this. And so we have labeled them false teachers. We've labeled them, their groups, uh, cults. We've had m- whole ministries that are, that are focused on refuting that so that people are not deceived. Um, Lee Strobel... No, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about Lee Strobel in a minute. John Stott said this, and I think this is I think this is right on. He said in Life and Doctrine, God's word is both the textbook and the court of appeals. It's the book where we go to learn it. So we study it like a textbook, and when there is something that seems not quite right that somebody's teaching, We use this as the judge of whether or not that's true. And so it is the textbook and the court of appeals in our life and doctrine in the church. All right, so that's the first one. No teaching should be blindly followed. The second one, most people are not on a relentless pursuit of truth. They're on a quest for pleasure. Now we see this In all of Paul's ministry, there are people who hear him proclaim the truth of the gospel, and they accept that, and they begin to uh, follow Christ. But there are a lot of people who end up rejecting that. And it's not just the Jews who don't want to hear a different teaching than what they had been brought up to know. It's Gentiles as well, people who have um, maybe no understanding or interaction with the old testament scriptures but what we see is that there are people who are not in pursuit of truth they're in pursuit of uh, pleasure but for those who are the berean jews were in a pursuit of truth and when when god shares, sends somebody to share the gospel with somebody who has been in a pursuit of truth then we see that truth take root in their hearts. And so I'm just going to list a few people that are examples of this. Paul is one himself. Now, Paul was willing to persecute for what he believed to be true and willing to give his approval to taking the life of those who were teaching something different. He was so dedicated to that, but since he was in pursuit of truth and God encountered him on the road to Damascus and opened his eyes to understand how the truth plays out and how it does actually is fulfilled in Jesus, Paul found Christ and changed his life. C.S. Lewis is another example. He was a proclaimed atheist. Um, He began to, there were some things that he would troubled him about his atheistic beliefs. And so as he began to investigate and follow the evidence, he came to the conclusion that the only truth that can be concluded is that Jesus is who he says he is, and he became a Christian. And he has influenced numerous people, like uncountless uncount, un, un, is the word I'm looking for, unable to be counted, uh, pe- a n- number of people who have used his writings and come to know Christ through him. So another one, Lee Strobel, um, Lee Strobel, many of you might know, he wrote The Case for Christ, he wrote The Case for Faith. Um, he was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an award-winning investigative journalist. He was somebody who knew how to investigate something and prove, here are the facts. He could look at old documents, ancient documents, and he knew all of the, all of the things that we use to test whether or not something is credible and accurate, and true, and he knew how to figure out what, you know, investigate and figure out what was behind a case, or what was a missing piece of information, and he was very good at it. He and his wife were atheists, his wife became a Christian, he set out to investigate scripture to prove that it was wrong, prove that it was false, that it was just a bunch of men who made up this story, and as he followed the evidence, he found Christ. I read a testimony this week, so it's nobody that you know. It's just a guy who did a blog and told about his coming to Christ. He was a convinced atheist and a s- similar situation. He started kind of with some questions he had. He started investigating. He gave his life to Christ. He said this in his blog, and I thought that this was something that uh, uh, this was something that I was just like, "Wow, that's powerful." So he said as people will ask him questions and and be critical of his decision as he was toward other Christians before, he said, Jesus' ministry is too precise to be the work of a madman and too high in its moral calling to be the work of an imposter. The only alternative is to take him at his word. And there are others. I mean, I could go on all day. There are some people who don't encounter the truth and give their life instantly over to Christ, but God is working a process in their life. A couple people that you would know that have been very critical and mockingly so of the church, people who are in the limelight that were proclaimed atheists, Ted Turner and Mark Zuckerberg have since then, in like the last four to five years, denounced their atheism, atheism they're not Christians. They haven't given their life to Christ. They're exploring other options. But God is working enough in them to help them see there is something, there, there is truth out there and what you were believing before is not it. And so they have taken a step this way toward knowing, toward where God hopefully will be leading them one day to know his son Jesus. So, not everybody's on a pursuit of truth. Most of them are on a pursuit of pleasure, which means if you ask them, if I could prove without a shadow of a doubt that Christianity was true, would you become a Christian? I would say 90% of those people will probably say no. I mean, I've, I've heard that. I've watched videos where people have asked that question. I've read surveys and people say no because they're not really concerned about truth. They're more concerned about pleasure, but there are people like the Bereans who were, and we need to be people who are in a constant pursuit of absolute truth, and it needs to drive us into God's word. All right, the third thing. When God calls you to share the gospel with someone, he's been preparing their heart. He had been preparing the hearts of the Bereans. There are, I mean, if you look at the list of people I read off, he'd been preparing and softening the heart of Lee Strobel and using his wife, who was constantly faithfully in prayer for him, and God had prepared him to encounter the truth and give his life to Christ. Same thing with C.S. Lewis. Same thing with Paul. When God calls us to share the gospel with people, we, it can be a scary thing. But if we remember this, then maybe we don't need to feel so bad about somebody who doesn't, doesn't uh, accept Christ when we share the gospel with them. If we remember this, then maybe we can go into that encounter with less fear, knowing that God has ordained this this meeting between you and this other person, or if it's more than one person, he's ordained this meeting and he's been preparing their hearts. And they may not give their life to Christ right away, but what you share with them will be the next step that God takes them in in the process to find his son, Jesus. So, When he calls us to share the gospel, he's been preparing their hearts. And one last thing is a question for you. What kind of pursuit are you on? Now we, I I know you all, I know your faith, but even mature Christians can find themselves just going through the motions and being okay with that. So we need to be asking ourselves on a daily basis, are we craving to know the truth and to know God more intimately, or are we just going through the motions and being content with that? We should, a- we should face that every day, and we should never be okay with just going through the motions and living on the surface level in our relationship with Christ. All right, so I mentioned at the beginning those groups of people, uh, and some of the things that they believe. Um, I'm going to share with you, since we came from a church that was in Mormon territory, um, nine years ago we moved back, and um, we we were part of a church called Golden's Point Christian Church. That church started in a log cabin by, the guy's name was Abram Golden, who owned it, and he owned the land, and that that land was called Golden's Point. It was a stopping point as you were traveling south up to the north. It was a stopping point to rest and to water your horses and that kind of stuff, and so it was a strategic point for God to place someone who could bear witness to him because people would come through and stop. He lived there when the Mormons came through the first time, um, and they traveled down from the They'd gone into Missouri, they came back into the Quincy area, and then they were moving up to Nauvoo. And it was about halfway between where we lived and Nauvoo. And so they stopped to rest and water their horses. And remember I told you that Joseph Smith dealt with people mostly who were illiterate. And so he was able to convince them. Um, They stopped and they tried to share this new teaching that Joseph Smith had been using to gather a following, tried to share that teaching with Abram Golden and the people who met in his log cabin for the church. But the problem was the people at Golden's point could read. And so when they shared this new teaching, they instantly recognized this is not right. And so they said, you're teaching false teachings. And that caused a lot of tension between the Mormons when they settled in Nauvoo and the church that we eventually ended up work, working and sh- worshiping at. Um, they were only about five miles south of each other, so there was a lot of tension between those two groups. But those early members of Golden's Point Christian Church are people that displayed what we see in the Bereans here, are people that... Um, I was thankful for, because when we were serving there, I was thankful that they had remained true to Scripture and didn't compromise and handed down a a true and accurate and faithful interpretation of Scripture down through the generations to the point where um, we had joined that church to serve there. I want to be a church like those early members who refused to compromise, what was taught in scripture i want to be a church like the bereans who heard a new teaching and only followed it after they received confirmation in scripture so let us never cease to study god's word together it's one of the reasons why i like we come together on sundays and we're studying through acts eventually when we get back into sunday school we'll be studying other parts of scripture we're reading the new testament together Let us never cease to study God's word together. Let us never cease to meditate on it every day like the Bereans did. Let us never cease to pray for wisdom and discernment. And may history look back at Faith Evangelical Free Church and say that was a group of people who stood on the truth of God's word no matter what. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you that we can trust it and rely on it. That people have for centuries tried to disprove it. And they either come away not being able to disprove it. Or they come away fully convinced that it is truth and surrendering to it. And since it is truth we can have confidence that there will never be someone who comes along who's able to disprove it. It is the only thing in life that is constant. Everything around us changes. This is the only thing that does not change. And I like stability. I like having something my life is grounded on that won't be shaken. So thank you and help us to be people like the Bereans who would not, would not make a decision on something new that they were hearing until they looked at your word and heard you say yes or no, depending on what the teaching was. Let us be people who ground everything we do and measure everything we do by your word in Jesus name. Amen. And for our closing hymn, you'll need your hymnals. 638. I need thee every hour. We'll do the first and second verses. That's a 638.